he sat me down. He really tried to convince me to take that armband off. And he said, well, maybe you've been listening to bad advice. Something like this could really keep you out of college. He said, well, you know, it's important during a time of war that the citizens support the government. It's Thanksgiving weekend, 1965, and 15-year-old John Tinker is on a bus back to Iowa. He and thousands of his fellow Americans had just marched on Washington against the war in Vietnam. On the way back, there was a discussion of what we might do to continue to express our dissent with regard to the war. And a man on the bus said he had heard that some people were going to be wearing black armbands. Black armbands. That's an idea he would take back to his classmates. John Tinker doesn't know it, but in a few weeks, he'll be sitting in the principal's office. In a few months, he'll be answering questions from a lawyer. And 50 years later, we'll remember this moment as a turning point in the history of the First Amendment. I'm Mike Vola. I'm Matthew Schwartz. And this is Unprecedented. We're just talking armbands to protest the war. No no walkout, no sit-ins, no chants, no signs. Yeah, that's it. On Thursday, December 16th, dozens of children, including John Tinker, were planning to show up at, at various schools around Des Moines wearing these black armbands. I was, uh, I was anxious about it. It wasn't really fear. Just a sort of nervousness of not knowing what was going to happen. One of Tinker's friends, a kid from Roosevelt High School, wrote an article for the school newspaper about what they were doing and why. It was titled, We Mourn, but the school wouldn't publish it. The faculty advisor took the matter to the school principal, and the principal of Roosevelt got on the phone to the principals of the other high schools in Des Moines, and they decided to prohibit the wearing of the armband. Why? Because it was 1965, and the idea that kids might voice opposition to a war in school was unheard of in most parts of the country. So on Wednesday, the day before the protest was scheduled, the city newspaper, the Des Moines Register, picked up this story and quoted a school official who said, there was a general policy against anything that is a disturbing situation within the schools. A disturbing situation? Mm-hmm. Isn't, isn't everything in school a disturbing situation? That was certainly my experience. So, so now this is in the Des Moines Register, and everybody knows you are not allowed to wear black armbands to protest this war. Right. And some of the kids had parents who taught in the school system. They didn't want to get in trouble, or, or even worse, get their parents in trouble. It was pretty much at the last minute, just before school, I called the students that were going to be participating in this and suggested that we put it off. I thought that, you know, here we are walking into the lion's den and we hadn't actually discussed how we were going to handle that. 
So they did. They, they put it off. Just one problem. My sister Mary Beth had already left. She had left for school early. 13-year-old Mary Beth Tinker. And I stopped to see my friend Connie at her house on the way, and she said, you better take off that armband. You're going to get in trouble. And I, I told her, but Connie, you know, I want to speak up about the war because we would watch the news, and it was so powerful for us kids as we came home from school and were cooking dinner. And This is the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. We would see people like Walter Cronkite on the news. Just six days ago, the people of America were jolted by an announcement. Saying the body count today in Vietnam is eight. Next day, the body count today is ten. 240 Americans killed. 470 wounded. And it it just went on and on like that. If the American public had not known until then, they know now. The United States is indeed at war. It was Christmas time, and so the message was the message of Christmas, and really the message that goes through all faiths. Peace, love, brotherhood. That was the message we were getting from so many adults. But then on the TV, we saw instead war, killing, and bombing. And it was really emotional for us kids. And so the North Vietnamese had proposed a Christmas truce that year, 1965, Christmas time. And Robert Kennedy responded to the idea of a truce. If I had my way, I'd end all of the war on all sides of Vietnam. I don't think it's that easy. Us kids, we heard about that, and we thought, that's a great idea. We should have a truce this Christmas. The adults, they should stop killing each other. So that was part of our message. And the other part of it was to mourn for the dead in Vietnam on both sides of the war. And that's what made it so controversial. Mary Beth Tinker arrives at school that morning, unaware that her brother postponed the protest. I was really nervous. I was the only student at my school, Warren Harding Junior High School, that was wearing an armband. And nothing much happened in the morning. Uh, Mostly people pretty much ignored the armband. I got teased a little at lunch by some of the boys at the boys' table, but they always teased us girls at the girls' table anyway, so that didn't bother me. But after lunch, I saw my math teacher, my favorite teacher, Mr. Moberly, with a pink slip in his hand standing by the door of math class. So I knew I was in trouble then. I took the pink slip and I went down to the office and the girl's advisor told me that I would have to take off the armband because it was against the rules. Well, then I had a big moral dilemma. So I looked around the office and I looked at Mrs. Tanner and in a great stand of courage, I took off that armband. But she said, you know, you're going to be suspended anyway because it's against the rules. There was another kid who did end up wearing an armband that day, and he was suspended too. So so all the other would-be protesters are in a pretty tough spot now. Do they wear the armband knowing that they could be suspended, like Mary Beth? Yeah, remember, 
there were several dozen students planning to protest, but most of them backed out at this point. So that afternoon, John Tinker and a few others got together to to talk. What now? We tried to call the school board president, and he said that he was not going to talk with us, that it wasn't an important issue, and we could uh, take it up with the school board in January if we wanted to. John decided that he wasn't going to wait until January. He would go to school the next day, Friday, with his armband. I had mine in my pocket uh, that morning when I left the house. I went to orchestra practice. I played the violin in the school orchestra, and I was a little embarrassed to put it on, you know, while everybody was watching. So I, uh, I, after orchestra practice, I went up to my homeroom, and um, again, I, I didn't have the armband on yet. So after homeroom, I went into the restroom so that I could kind of pin it on in private. And uh, it, was, it was a problem to pin it on. It was held on with a safety pin, and uh, I only had one hand to do it because, you know, an armband on your arm. So a kid that I knew walked into the restroom, and he saw me struggling with that, and he helped me uh, pin it on. Then I went to my first class of the day with the armband on. John was waiting for someone to say something about his, his blatant flouting of this armband rule. But three classes into the day, nothing. When I got dressed after gym class, um, I thought maybe people can't see it very well because I had it pinned on over a dark suit coat. And so I pinned it on over the white shirt, and it stood out very well, and I went to lunch like that. And I sat at my regular lunch table with my regular friends, and then some kids came over from another table and really started to harass me and called me a commie and a pinko. And um, one of the football players came over to our table. My name is Stephen Klein. When I was in high school at Des Moines North, I was a football player. I was the uh, starting offensive right tackle. I probably weighed about 240 pounds. Back then, football players tended to be rather conservatively minded. I walked into the cafeteria. And I saw John seated at one of the tables. And a group of students were taunting him. And I was surprised because he, he addressed the two kids that were harassing me. What I remember seeing is someone who was being ganged up on. And that, that didn't sit right with me. And I thought, even as a, you know, kind of a dim-witted 15-year-old, I felt that if somebody had an opinion to express, they, they had a right to express it. Uh, yeah, you know, in 1965, it wasn't necessarily popular among 15-year-olds to be opposed to the war. I think most of us were were probably sort of knee-jerk following what our parents felt about it. And, and, and so 
anti-war feeling was kind of rare. So just kind of on the spur of the moment, I walked over and I interrupted the jeering and the taunting. And I said, you know, you can agree or disagree with John's view of the war, but he has a right to his opinion. And he has a right to express it. So just leave him alone. And he said, uh, you know, you have your opinion about the war, and John has his opinion about the war, and John has a right to his opinion, so leave him alone. And I just thought that was, that was uh, outstanding on his behalf. I remember looking at John, and John, John looked at me, and, and he had, a, had kind of a quizzical look on his face, because, yeah, we weren't, we weren't close friends in high school. I looked at him, you know, as if to say, you know, kind of silently, are you okay? And I just kind of turned on my heel and walked out. When I was in high school, I was just as much a jerk, a bully, as as the next person. And in in this case, I happened to get lucky and do the right thing for you know once in my three-year career at high school. <laughs> when I went to my first afternoon class, um, there was a telephone call to the class and. Uh, the teacher took it, and I remember he looked back at me, and he, you know, he pointed at me, and and he said, uh, "John Tinker, to the office." <laughs> so I got up and you know walked past everybody and and walked down the empty halls, you know, to the office and uh, talked to the principal, and he he, he sat me down and. Uh, he really tried to convince me to take that armband off, and and he said, um, he said, well, maybe you've been listening to bad advice. You know, something like this could really keep you out of college. He said, well, you know, it's important that during a time of war that the citizens support the government. We we talked for quite a while, um, maybe 45 minutes or so. And finally, he said, well, I'm going to ask you now. You can take the armband off and go back to class, and it will be just like nothing happened. But I don't think you're going to do that, are you? And I said, no, no, I'm not. And he said, well, then you can't be in school with the armband on. And then on the way out, he said, now I suppose you're going to go tell the newspaper. And I said, you know, it was actually the school board that called the newspaper for the first time. And he said, I guess you're right. School was letting out for winter break anyway, so John actually didn't miss much. But what would he do when break was over? He couldn't show up with a black armband, otherwise he'd be sent home again. When I went back to school in January, I wore all black clothing. Um, and everybody knew what that meant. That's one way to get around the armband prohibition, wear all black clothing. They're not going to call you down well, to the principal's <laughs> office and tell you to take off all your clothes. That's right. And it, I, I, it was uh, a lesson to me in the futility of banning a symbol. 
because an idea will find another symbol. The Iowa Civil Liberties Union met with the Tinkers and the other kid who was suspended. His name was Chris Eckhart and concluded that these kids had a First Amendment case. If the Tinkers win, they will be establishing the rights to free speech for every student in the country. But if they lose... If they lose, then even what you called, Matt, the most moderate protest you've ever heard of, a silent, symbolic expression of dissent, even that can be shut down in school. Do students have First Amendment rights in school? After the break, John Tinker goes back to Washington. Stick around. My memory is that Tinker was the first big case I really remember reporting, remember sitting there and reading, remember digesting and figuring out what it meant. Were you in your mid-20s at that point? I think we're not going to discuss how old I was, but I was definitely (laughs) (laughs) definitely in my 20s. It's on Wikipedia. Like, people can do the math. Yeah, they can do the math, but I don't want them to. (laughs) I want them to think that I'm, oh, I don't know, 50. Uh, I think that seems fair. I think it seems fair, too. Extremely fair. So we are talking with, of course, perhaps torturing NPR's Nina Totenberg. Nina, what was what was your very young embryonic mind going through at that point? What were you thinking about this case? I thought the idea that kids could not express an opinion in a respectful manner by wearing an armband was cuckoo bird. An armband? It's it's the most moderate protest you've ever heard of. Back in the late 60s, for for public middle and high school students, this was a subversive act. It was. The natural order in which children are obedient and unquestioning was starting to unravel. And for many adults, the protests and riots and demonstrations and assassinations of that decade represented a country on the brink of collapse. It simply was this kind of cracking open of the nation. This is Garrett Epps. He's a constitutional scholar and law professor at the University of Baltimore. Very few people had experienced serious division inside the country over a war. That hadn't happened since World War I, which was pretty much a dim memory even for people like, like the justices. And this feeling that everything was going to come unstuck if we didn't keep the lid on, it's hard to replicate now because there is no lid, right? No one, no one keeps the lid on. But at that time, that was pretty clearly the haunting fear that people had. Will we cover our eyes or stand up to our fears? This is the kind of worst year in American history we had had assassinations. The Tet Offensive and the collapse of the American war effort in Vietnam. Withdrawal from the race of President Johnson and sort of subsequent political turmoil, the rise of George Wallace. Segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. The country was very much on edge, and along comes this case in which 
these kids have worn these black armbands. You know, this is all they did. And yet you can see that among the justices, there's just this incredible nervousness. What will this lead to? It was the ultimate respectful protest by people of an age to have an interest in this subject. Because after all, high school kids turn 18, get drafted, go off to war, get injured and die. And so it was even more understandable to me that high school kids would want to express their opinion about the war in a respectful way than it was that they would want to vote. Since the war would directly affect them. Remember, the 18-year-old vote didn't exist in 1968. This was really the only way these kids could express themselves about something that directly affected them. So it's even more important, then, that they be allowed to do it, right? That the First Amendment be interpreted in a way that kids do have the right to speak. Well, I'm sure to them it was incredibly more important. And so the students, pacifists in the classroom, prepare for battle in the courtroom. Number 21... John F. Tinker and Mary Beth Tinker. On the one side, we have the Tinkers. Representing every student who feels unjustly censored at school. And on the other side, we have the Des Moines, Iowa School District. Representing every educator who is is fearful of losing control in the classroom. Students versus the school district. Kids versus adults. Chief Justice, may please court. Here's the attorney for the Tinkers, Dan Johnston, arguing that if we want to produce informed citizens... It's important that uh, the idea of freedom of dissent and inquiry and expression be maintained in, in the schools. Johnston concedes that schools should, of course, be able to enforce discipline and order. But the Tinkers, he points out, had no intention of creating disorder... It was a silent message in support of the truce. But as Justice Byron White tells Johnston, even a silent message can be deafening. Why did they wear the armband to the class? To express that message? To express the message, yes. To everybody in the class? To everyone in the class, yes. And everybody while they were listening to some other subject matter was supposed to also be uh, looking at the armband and taking in that message? They were intended to see it in a way that would not be distracting. And to understand it. And to understand it. And yes, to absorb that message. And to absorb the message. While they're studying uh, arithmetic or mathematics, they're supposed to be taking in this message about Vietnam. I think they chose a message, chose a method of expression, Your Honor, which would not be distracting Physical. or disruptive in the class. It wouldn't make noise. It wouldn't uh, cause a commotion. But don't you think it would cause some people to direct their attention to the armband and the Vietnam War and think about that rather than what they were thinking about, supposed to be thinking about in the classroom? I think perhaps, Your Honor, it might have distracted some students, just as many other things do in the classroom, which are allowed from time to time. Byron White is implying that kids cannot visually take in the image of the armband and also pay attention in class simultaneously which makes me wonder if he's ever been to high school. (laughs) Well, in fairness, Justice White was one of only six people in his high school class. Really? So, yeah, not not a lot of opportunity for disruption. But 
there's not even a suggestion that the armbands ever disrupted anything. In fact, one of John Tinker's classmates, a guy named Bob Caldwell, he remembers a titillating rumor going around the school that was far more disruptive. Here's Caldwell. I remember um, there was a young woman and there were stories that she was protesting the war by doing some very unusual things like not wearing underwear, which was probably nonsense. But guys were dropping pencils in the library trying to confirm that. And that was more disruptive to the learning process than what the tinkers were doing at the time. It was barely a ripple. It was, oh yeah, did you hear Tinker got kicked out for wearing an armband? The school board's actions were causing more disruption in the school, in the learning process, amongst the student body, than any of the actions that the Tinkers took. So, things that were more disruptive than the armband protest. One, rumor of a girl going commando at school. (laughs) And two, the school board making a big deal of the armband protest. Well, that's that's the Tinker's side of the story. Okay. The school district had a different view. Mr. Herrick. Mr. Chief Justice and Associate Justices. Alan Herrick is attorney for the Des Moines schools. He argued that being a school administrator is not an easy job. We've got thousands of students in the district, and we have to keep order. And you want us to wait for an actual disruption before we implement a rule? Part of the job is anticipating when the powder keg is about to explode. Officials of the Devenant School District have the responsibility for maintaining a scholarly, disciplined atmosphere within the classroom. They have an obligation to prevent anything which might be disruptive of such an atmosphere. As we view it, the right of freedom of speech on the school premises must be weighed against the right of the school administration to make a decision, which the administration in good faith believed was reasonable to preserve order and to avoid a disturbance and disruption in the schoolroom. I sympathize with the school district. I do. It's important that schools are able to teach, but protesting our nation's involvement in war is the most basic political speech. I'm not sure we want to take that right away from our children in order to preserve order, as Herrick put it, just because that speech might be disruptive. Well, the Supreme Court has to balance competing interests. What's more important, the rights of school children to protest and possibly cause a disruption? Or the obligation of schools to prevent disruption so that they can educate? The justices kept hammering at the lawyer for the school district, asking for any evidence that the black armbands would lead to disruption. Here's Justice Thurgood Marshall. Mr. Herrick, would I be correct in assuming that if violence had occurred in any of the schools in Des Moines, the school officials would have known about it 
And my second question would be, if the school board knew about it, wouldn't they have put in evidence about it? Uh, that would sound reasonable, Your Honor, yes. Now, what evidence did the school board, <coughs> the school officials have when they adopted this resolution? It was a matter of the explosive situation that existed in the Des Moines schools at the time the regulation was adopted. A former student of one of our high schools was killed in Vietnam. Some of his friends are still in school. It was felt that if any kind of a demonstration existed, it might evolve into something which would be difficult to control. Do we have a city in this country that hasn't had someone killed in Vietnam? No, I think not, Your Honor, but I don't think it would be an explosive situation in most cases, but if someone is going to appear in court with an armband here protesting the thing, that it could be explosive. That's the situation we find ourselves in. It could be. What? It could be. Is that your position? Yes. It could and there be. was no evidence that it would be? So the school was worried about the possibility that black armbands could maybe lead to an explosive situation. And that was too many assumptions for the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court today endorsed the right of student protest so long as the protest does not disrupt order or interfere with the rights of others. The court said students do not leave their freedoms of speech and expression at the school door. In a 7-2 decision, Justice Abe Fortas wrote the now famous line, It can hardly be argued that either students or teachers shed their constitutional right to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. Here's constitutional scholar Garrett Epps. Now, when you are doing a student speech case anywhere in the country, your brief will always start with that Fortis quote. The court creates what seems like a hard and fast rule. The mere fear of disruption on the part of school officials is not enough to justify banning speech. Schools still have the right to maintain order and discipline, that doesn't mean squelching student speech because it could be disruptive. They need evidence that it will be. The school district has to show that there's actually some factual probability of what they call material and substantial disruption. Um, not distraction, not that people might talk about it in the halls, uh, but that, that something really would occur that would cause the educational process to be impeded. Basically, schools are nearby, but they don't live in downtown Speechville. Schools are suburbs of free speech. There are many people who take stands and don't get support and are knocked down unjustly, but the confidence that this generation of students has that they do have their First Amendment rights I mean, I'm extremely proud of that. They say that us kids don't know what we're talking about, that we're too young to understand how the government works. We call BS. I'm proud of them. Spread the word. All across the nation. All across the nation. We are going to be a great generation. I feel very honored to have a place in that history. 
Unprecedented was produced by me, Matthew Schwartz, and my co-host, Mike Vuolo. If you love the show, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your pets. Also, rate and review Unprecedented on your podcast app. And if you like the show and the work we're doing here at Unprecedented, please consider becoming a paying subscriber. It really means a lot as we continue in this labor of love. Plus, it will get you bonus segments and additional content. Thank you for your support. Did you ever have a schoolhouse gate? I was going to ask you that. No. I I never had a schoolhouse gate. I think I've seen them in movies.